Hey, uh, we're really glad you're here today. We're in our third week of our message series called Hashtag Hope, where we're just talking about how awesome a relationship with God is and how that when He is with you and you're with Him, uh, you've never hit a full dead end. Well, do you know who this lady is beside me? Her name is Melissa Clark. She leads our student ministries. A lot of you know that. If you have kids in student ministries, you know that. Some of you don't. But what you may not know about her is uh, she has a pretty remarkable story about how God worked in her life and ultimately brought her here to us. But your story with Jesus goes way back in terms of your relationship. But beyond that, at some point in your life, you responded to the call of God on your life to step out and be a participant in ministry, right? Right, right. So why don't you take us back, um, the, the, how long ago was Ten that? Ten years. Ten years ago when you first stepped out. Why don't you just kind of catch us up to speed on that? Well, ten years ago, I was happy housewife, three little boys. Um, the youngest one was in preschool, and I attended a church. I was active but not leading. Um, and I had a global missions conference that I went to on a Saturday night at my church, and there was a call that the pastor made. He said, somebody in this room feels a call in their life to ministry. And that's, if that's you, you need to come forward. Well, I'm not a come forward person at all. And up I go and start walking. And my husband is like, wait, 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 come back. What are you doing? <laughs> um, and uh, everybody around me is kind of shocked, as much as shocked as I was, I think. Um, but, yeah, I just I got up and I went forward. And, yeah, it was, uh, that was the time I so, happened. So what I want to do today is this relates to what we're talking about. I want to unpack for just a moment, if you don't mind, with you. Um, you said that you're in this experience and you have this sense that God wants you to respond to a call. Yes. Uh, slow down on that point for just a moment. How did you know? What did you know? What were you feeling? What were you thinking? I didn't know anything. Okay. I just knew I was pulled. I just had this um, urge. I know we all have sometimes we feel like, oh, we should do that or we should do this. was a that times 100. Okay. Like I just, I, I just knew. I, I was being called by God, and it was, I know that sounds really weird, and woo, but it's, it was really, yeah, it was very clear. Well, one of the challenges when people see us who kind of do this with our life of looking at us, they think, well, that's them, yeah. um, but, you know, that's not really my No, life. no. I mean, I, I know a lot of people even here that they'll feel like, oh, we need to make backpacks to go and, uh, and help out the homeless, or we need to do this. It's not the same for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that feeling that, you know, it's an urging. Yeah. yeah. We all have a call on our lives. Uh, some of us are called to be husbands, wives, parents, work, minister to our family, uh, reach out to the person we work with. And so you had this profound sense of call, and then you stepped out. I did. And you did it. And so you had that moment where you marked it. What were the next couple years like for you? Well, the next morning, I actually said to one of the pastors at the church I was going to, if you guys ever need any help, I had this weird thing happen yesterday. So if you ever need any help, I've got a couple hours a day I could give you and his eyes got about this big and he literally dragged yeah, me if you ever say to a pastor i'm available <laughs> um, just watch out all right, right. he's like Woo, it's my day um, yeah. but he dra- literally dragged me into an office introduced me to someone who is now still to this day one of my nearest dearest friends who was um, the student pastor and sports outreach pastor at that point and said you know we want to put on this amazing sports camp this summer we don't have anybody to lead it um would you do it and a few months later, we put on an amazing sports camp in actually the same building that Four Corners was meeting in um, at Zion Global Ministries. So, so a couple in years ago, we were in that building that was a gym, and we yes, converted, and, and it, it was, was in, in the that same gym. spot. All right, wow. So yeah, so but over the next three years, you know, you hear the term um, that God opens doors. Well, this was more like the dams burst. And um, I had these weird Mo- Moses moments where I was being asked to do things that I totally didn't think I could do. You um, were being stretched. I was being stretched. All new experiences. Within three years, I was the lead 
um, full-time staff member over a middle school ministry of 150 kids, a sports outreach ministry that included Upward and some other things, and a girls' ministry middle school through college. And it was, and I had three little kids, and I had energy, which was, that was God. <laughs> yeah, those that have little kids at home know that if you have excess energy, that certainly is yes. a miracle. So, so, all right, so you have this sense that God wants you to do something. You step out, and it is running full steam ahead. Full steam. You're loving life. Loved it. Doors are opening. And from that moment on, it's been perfect ever since, right? Right. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. Um, people are messy. Churches are messy. Um, things get complicated, and when you say, when you know there's a lot of people that will say, well, I don't necessarily want to do this or that because I've been hurt by a church in the past. Well, I was obliterated, I think, in my, in my heart. You, you, a went through a, you went through a rough time Very where rough. at the end of this next season, past yes. the three years, it left you empty, hollow, hurt. I think my words were to my husband, I am never setting foot in another church again. All right, that, see, that's a, that's a big change from this is consuming my life to... I'm never going to step foot in a church again. Uh, my wife and I have been there. Um, we, there was a time in our life when, after a series of, of significant challenges, where we thought maybe this is it. And uh, you were there. I and was there. Now, your husband is Mark. I know Mark. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right if you're a little emotional. It's totally fine. Right. <laughs> um, and so I, I know Mark. How did Mark respond to you when, he said, uh, when you said to him, we're not going back? He said, you have two months to pout. And we have three sons, and they're going to be raised in church, so you have two months. See, I like Mark. I do. <laughs> I, I like this guy. I mean, he's like, he's giving you a little bit of room, but he says it's, we're, not, we're not staying there. So t- t- walk us through the next few weeks, months. Okay, so it was a Sunday in August. It was a Saturday in August, actually, and Mark says, okay, tomorrow's the day. You said, two mo- I said, two months, tomorrow's two months. We're going to church. And he had actually come to Four Corners um, during my hiatus um, and really liked it and said, you know, we need to go there. And I don't think I had ever met the, made the connection. In fact, I know for sure I hadn't, that it was in that same building, which was a little weird. But anyway, um, so that morning we came to Four Corners, and you guys ruined the whole thing for me because people were nice. And that I liked stinks, you. doesn't it? it? When you want to be angry and they're nice to you? Yes, the worship was <laughs> awesome. Um, I loved it, but I didn't want to love it. And it, you guys made it very difficult to sit in the back and hate it because that was my plan the whole time. Um, so yeah, we started coming to Four Corners, and after a couple of weeks, I thought, well, okay, maybe I'll go to church. Um, and we had a meeting, and I had therapy for about an hour. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember? I, 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 I never forget what she said. I will not engage. Ever. I will not do anything. Do not ask me to do anything. And what I say? And you said, this is your time to rest, but mm-hmm. there will come a time that. God, God's not done with you, is what you said. And then I said, that may be true, but I will never, ever, ever serve on a church staff again, ever. Yeah, I did yeah. say that. And here you are. And here I am. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And you, you now lead for us our, um, our middle school ministry all the way up through our, our senior high ministry. Yes. And uh, you are with us, because when you first started on, we didn't really have a role for you. How did that look? Well, a couple years ago, you asked me to lead the Smoky Mountain Children's Home trip, which I thought, okay. Which we're doing again this summer. Which we're doing again this summer. You guys should go. It's going to be awesome. Um, But I did that, and while I was there, I actually found myself connecting with the high school students that were there on the trip doing landscaping. I spent a lot of my time with them, and I started feeling it. And then a friend of mine who's a pastor who lost his entire youth ministry in Kentucky called and said, hey, I have no youth ministry. Can you come down and start one for me? Temporary. So I did that. And while that was happening, you said to me, the time is coming. 
you're going to be on my team, so we're going to figure something out. Mm. Okay, well, that sounded, you know, not sure. Well, it all worked out. I came back on here just kind of on the team but didn't know what I was going to do, and then we had crazy events, and then now I'm back doing student ministry again. So I just want to real, real quickly walk people through this. So you have this profound sense of call. Yes. When you step out in it, it's exciting, exhilarating, doors are opening, you feel a sense of purpose, and, and, then, and then it changes, it shifts. And, and the song that they just sung, you, you saw the rain. The rain, the storm. <laughs> you, you, you saw the storm, but God wasn't done. Without trying to like wrap it all up in a sentence or two, and I didn't ask you this when we were prepping for this, but um, looking back over the experience, is God, is God up to something? Is something going on? What, how would you describe, describe all of that? Well, I'm, I love student ministry, and, and now I'm, I feel like I'm back in my back in my spot and it's funny too because this week we're doing a series called no limits and it's all about how we may have limits but with god we don't and the story was about moses and i actually shared a brief part of this on tuesday night before i ever knew you wanted me to do this tonight which is also kind of cool um got a little bit prepared but yeah i mean god god's doing crazy things again and it's it's fun and i love it and you just know you're in your spot when you just have this energy and you're excited and anyone who's not serving in that spot gosh do it would you guys say thanks to Melissa for uh, being a part of our team? Thank you, Melissa. <clears throat> I, I want to talk to you today about vision, what God's doing under the umbrella of hope. Let's start with this idea here that God stretches our faith. God stretches our faith to make us grow. God stretches our faith to make us grow. Now, this is just true. You have a faith muscle, and like every muscle in your body, um, it can atrophy, shrink, get smaller, or it can grow, right? And so what God does is he allows things to happen in our life. Sometimes he orchestrates things to happen in our life so that our faith muscle gets stretched. And in the stretching process and that constant movement of our faith from exhilarating, fun, thrilling to the rain, our faith grows, it's just the way it works. And my hope today, and then our next few minutes together, you'll be able to leave this place with an understanding of this process of God stretching our faith so that no matter where you are in the journey of your relationship with Christ, no matter where you are, you can understand and have hope through the process in the words that I spoke to Melissa, the words that I've needed to grab hold of for myself, and maybe you need them today as well, that God isn't done. God isn't done. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a few weeks ahead in, in, in message prep, and I'm thinking through what I want to say today. And all week long as I'm kind of going over the message for this Sunday, I keep thinking, um, you, you guys need to hear Melissa's story because it is a perfect example of what exactly I want to talk with you about today. She's not the only person that's been through that story, although the details change. There's some of you in this room, you've been there. The details are different, but it's largely the same kind of thing. I want to take you to a passage uh, in your Bible in Isaiah chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can go there. If not, the words will be on the screens up here on the sides. But the whole point for today is, is that when you understand that God places you in seasons of stretching, it's easier to hold on to hope. When you understand that God has this process, that he actually is in the middle of those stretching seasons, it's easier to hold on to hope. Now, if you're somewhat familiar with your Bible, you may have heard of a prophet by the name of Isaiah. Isaiah. It's an Old Testament prophet a few hundred years before Christ. And he had a profound experience. 
He finds himself as a prophet who's kind of going through the motions. But in Isaiah chapter 6, he has a profound experience. He has an earth-shattering experience. It's like the one that Melissa was describing that she had at that Saturday night service. It's like the one that I had at a moment in time when I said yes to the call on my life. It's very much like what some of you in the room have had, and probably most of you, when you had a sense of urging, I should do that. I should carve out time to be a part of that. I should participate in that. I should help with that. That stirring, that sense of calling, and it's a mountaintop experience for Isaiah. And like what you might expect with the prophet in the Bible, I mean, it's in extreme language about the mountaintop experience that he had. So let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Here's what the Bible tells us. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, now this is Isaiah talking, and he's saying, I heard the voice of the Lord saying. We're going to pause right there, leave the words on the screen. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying. Let me tell you what's been going on so far in this chapter. We're eight verses into chapter 6. Isaiah has a sense of what's going on in heaven. He's just going about his everyday life, and all of a sudden, the heavens open up. You can find it in your Bible in Isaiah chapter 6. And he gets a snapshot of a conversation that's happening in heaven. It's pretty remarkable. He sees angels walking around talking about how awesome and great God is. He gets a snapshot of God in that moment when he's in this extreme spiritual state, he gets a snapshot of God that changes everything for him. And he's completely captured by the moment. It has gripped his heart in a way that it changes him. And then while in the middle of all this scene of heaven that's going on that has completely captured his heart, he hears these words. Then I hear the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then Isaiah raises his hand and he says, here am I, Lord, send me. So he has this sense of heaven that captures his heart, this scene of how awesome God is. The angels are declaring how wonderful God is. It rocks his world. He hears this voice say, who will go and be a part of this? Who wants to sign up? And Isaiah's like, ooh, ooh, me, send me, I'll go. And it wasn't so much one of these where God looks at him and says, you, in the back corner, you, you're on the team. Come on, let's go. It wasn't like that. It was more of a general call. In light of all the greatness that God is, in light of all the stuff that God wants to do in the world, in light of how awesome God is, who wants to join up and be on God's team? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Now the next verse, verse nine. So God says to him, go and tell this people. Now now here's where it gets really interesting mountaintop experience, and a decision. I'll go, send me. And then we come to these words. Go and tell these people, God tells Isaiah, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Now, that's kind of a poetic, prophetic way of saying, you're gonna go talk to people and they're gonna listen, but they're not gonna hear you. They're going to look at you. Their gaze is going to be fixed on you, but they're not seeing you. Verse 10, make the heart of this people calloused. In other words, keep talking to them so long. Don't give up. Keep telling them what I want you to tell them. But here's what you should know. While you're doing that, their hearts are getting hardened. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Just make them tired of it. 
You be relentless, and as you are, they're going to get frustrated with you. And then otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and then turn and be healed. In other words, God is saying in kind of poetic language to this prophet, you're going to go say what I want you to say, but don't expect a really great reception. (laughs) And I like verse 11 because it's one of the most honest verses in the Bible. Then Isaiah said, how long, Lord? How long, Lord? Now let me walk you through the series real quick. Awesome experience in heaven, hearts totally captured. He hears a call and he says, ooh, I'll go, I'll go. And God says, awesome, here's your mission. You got a hard one. You're gonna have challenges. You're gonna be obedient. You're gonna step out and you're gonna say what I tell you to say. And when you do, people are not gonna respond the way that you would probably want them to respond. In fact, let me describe to you how hard it's going to be. You're going to talk, and while you're talking, their hearts are just going to get harder. And then Isaiah says, now, exactly how long do I need to do this, Lord? And for the next 50-some chapters, God's words, God's call to Isaiah plays out. And he becomes a prophet that regularly speaks, regularly talks. He's seen by famous people, people in positions of power, and common people. And there never is a complete turning as people hear his words. Now, in Isaiah's story, in Melissa's story, in my story, in your story, there are a few common trends that you can understand, and if you understand them, they'll help you hold on to hope in the middle of the rain. So here's the first thing I want to acknowledge. I've said it two or three times, but number one, here's what happens to a lot of us. We hear a God-sized call. We hear a God-sized call. What I mean by that is God gives you a dream, an idea, a goal, a call, or an ambition. I want to be a a godly husband. I want to be a a man of God. It's a God-sized call. It's countercultural. It's going to be difficult and challenging on your own, but God's called you and you responded. I want to be a woman of faith. I want to be a great mom. I want to be a great dad. I I feel like God wants me to go to school and study this. I'm going to give myself to this. I want to help in kids' ministry. I want to serve my neighbor. I got some family challenges, my brother and sister-in-law or And I want to lean in and help there. You feel God urges you on. You feel the pull on your heart. You you hear this. Now, I want to make something clear to you. Everybody in this room, if you're still breathing, God has a call on your life. In in my life, it looks like serving in the local church, giving the bulk of my time here. But here's what you should know about me. This is my secondary call. My first call is to my family. So if, if if you have a family... That's everybody in the room. That's your first call. They may not feel that significant to you. Maybe it has, maybe it doesn't now, but that's a big call from God to fully attend there in that place and make Jesus the Lord of your life as you engage your family. Everybody in this room has a call. Beyond that call to family, we usually have some other stuff that God's put in front of us. Opportunities, a sense of passion and call. I believe if you're still breathing, God's not done with you. 
I believe if you're still breathing, God's not done with you. And we all have a sense of call, but that takes us to the kind of the next step in the process of God stretching our faith. You respond to that call with, yes. You're like Isaiah in the corner with his hand up. Remember the, 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 the late 70s early show, Welcome Back, Cotter? Remember that one? And you got a horse shack in the back of the room going, Mr. Cotter, Mr. Cotter, Mr. Cotter. Nobody remembers that show. That's why it, they, it didn't run for very long right there. I need to put in my notes. Don't pull obscure 70s TV show references. All right. So you respond with yes. Let me make something clear. For every 10 people that feel the call, here's something you should understand. There's only one that actually makes the decision to do something with it. It sets you apart when you say, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. I'll do that thing, God. I feel you calling. I'll step out. I'll do the thing. I'll do that thing you're calling me to do. I see the need. I see you at work. I'm compelled by the, the emotional pull of the thing, and I'll do it. There's a big difference between feeling it and saying, here am I, send me. Big difference. And our faith doesn't grow very far if we don't say yes to the call of God on our lives. The call of God in a moment to respond when it would be easier to lie and you step up and have integrity. The call of God to take a word spoken in anger and respond in kindness. So on the smallest level, we have to be saying yes to God. But on bigger levels, well, as it relates to our purpose and what we're going to spend our time with and ultimately, ultimately, what our lives are going to be marked by. Yeah, for every 10 people that feel that urge, only one responds. I don't, that's not like a biblical stat. I kind of made that up, but let's say it's nine, uh, nine to one or 15 to one. Who, who cares? You, you, I think you get my point that a lot of us feel the urge, but we don't respond. But when you respond, God uses that to stretch our faith. And almost always what happens when you first say yes is you begin to quickly see and experience this emotional satisfaction that comes. Now, for some of us, that will last three years. For some of us, it lasts 30 seconds. But somewhere between 30 seconds and three years or 10 years, something else happens in this journey, in this faith-stretching exercise that God puts us all on. You hear a God-sized call, you say yes, and number three, you experience, and I just kind of put these together, delays, dead ends, and difficulties. There is always a time lapse between when you say yes and you get that initial surge of excitement first time you show up to volunteer. You get that initial surge of excitement. There's always a time lapse that happens, there's a, there's a transmission of time that, that occurs. And in that transmission of time, there's challenges, difficulties, disappointment, and hurt. And this is when it's hard to hold on to hope. When Jill and I got married, it's true, she'll tell you, it was one of the worst things I've ever done in our marriage. Um, for the first year, um, every conflict we came to, I felt like it was my job to look at her and say, okay, whatever you want to do. I thought I was serving my wife by constantly capitulating 
to whatever. And it didn't matter if it was a big issue or small issue. I just gave in. So at, near our first anniversary, and honestly, for the life of me, I can't remember what we were arguing over or what we were getting ready to argue over. But I had, I had had enough. And I, for the first time, decided I'm not saying yes. I'm not giving in. And we had the biggest fight that I'd ever experienced in my life. And uh, it only lasted about 10 minutes, but she knew in 10 minutes' time he's not moving. I knew in 30 seconds' time I'm not budging. And we fought. And that night, for the first time in a year, we went to bed back to back. You, you know what I'm talking about? There was anger. The way I laid down, I laid down in the bed angry. And I made sure she knew it. I rocked the bed just a little extra hard when I laid down. <sighs> kind of, you know, have you done that? And, uh, and I meant it. I meant it. And then this, this profound feeling of just, ah, oh, this is not fun. I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I wanted when I stood in front of her and her parents and my parents and our friends and a minister in the congregation and said, I do. This is not what I bargained for. And it took us a few days to kind of get over that. And over the years, we've learned how to argue better and, and all that good stuff. But that sense of, is this really what I signed up for? The thing that Melissa felt that caused her to say, I don't think I ever want to go to church again. Delays. Some of you right now, honestly, you've said yes, and you're in God's waiting room. You're in God's waiting room. I hate waiting rooms. Like not only God's, I hate all waiting rooms. I feel like if you're sick or you think you're sick and you go to the doctor and you have to sit in a waiting, you're sitting in a waiting room with all these other people that are definitively sick. If you weren't sick going in, you're going to be sick coming out, all right? I don't like waiting rooms. I don't like, I, I watch, I usually try to take work to do. I especially don't like it when I'm in God's waiting room. And there's a delay between when I said yes and the full satisfaction that comes from seeing your work be productive, seeing you do the thing and experiencing the satisfaction that comes from being obedient, but not just being obedient, but seeing the fruit of that in other people's lives. And I don't like difficulties. Let me tell you the two biggest difficulties that I typically see. You ready? Let me throw these up on the screen. Critics and circumstance. Go ahead and stand up and say, God, I'll do this thing. I'll be a part of it. And what's going to happen is circumstances are going to come into your life that aren't always personal. They're not designed to get you. They're not designed to hurt you or demotivate you, but circumstances shift. And the circumstances that were present when you said yes are no longer the circumstances present, and the circumstances change. And now you got to deal with not only the sense of call and motivation you have, but now dealing with them in a different kind of environment. Circumstances change. You signed up for this job, and it ends up being like this. You didn't understand it all. It actually shifted. But then the other big difficulty is the critic. Go ahead and raise your hand and say, here am I. Send me and step out and start trying to do what God's put in front of you. And you'll have a handful of people raise up and say, "Uh, no, no, you really, mm, no. mm." For me, the difficulties of dealing with critics and changing circumstances can be very challenging. I've never known a person ever to stand up and say, God, use me here. Or I'll respond, yes, okay, I'll go. 
I've never known a single person do that, and for the rest of their life, it was happy sailing. They dealt with delays, difficulties that looked like critics and circumstances, and sometimes they hit dead ends. Let me, let me take you to one verse first, though. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. Here's how Peter was kind of describing the, the challenges that, that he and his ministry team were facing. He was talking to, to people like us, but you know, back in, the, in his day, and he says, look, in all this stuff, greatly rejoice. In all the difficulties and all the challenges, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials, various trials, but these have come so that the proven, so these have come so, <clears throat> let me start over. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter says back in his day, now this is one of the guys that walk with Christ, we have challenges and difficulties so that our faith can be proven. It goes through the fire. It's that stretching process. When you face difficulties after you've said yes to something that God's put in front of you, what God is doing in the middle of that is he's stretching your faith muscle. He's growing that thing. I want to make, make something clear to you. That you and I, we're not the first people to feel like we've reached the end. Melissa wasn't the first person to ever say, I'm not going back to church. I'm done with ministry. The Apostle Paul felt the same way. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, here's what he says. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles that we've experienced in the province of Asia. So God told him to go to Asia. He goes, and when he gets there, he has troubles. He says, we were under great pressure. You ever feel that way? For beyond our ability to adore, far beyond our ability, great pressure. We, we were beyond what we thought we could take so that we despaired of life itself. And that's just one verse. I bet if you unpacked it and you could get Paul in front of you and say, now, unpack what it meant for you to say you despaired of life itself. I bet that'd be an interesting story. Didn't think I could go on. Verse 9, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. God told him to go to Asia. He went to Asia. And a few months in, he says, I felt like we got a death sentence. Then he says, but this happened that we may not rely on ourselves, but God. This happened. God stretching his faith muscles. There's something about the challenges and difficulties you're going through that God wants to use to grow your faith. When you understand that, it helps you hold on to hope. By the way, this wasn't the end of the verse. The end of the verse is not so that you can rely on God. I like this last phrase of the verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, the second part, here's what it says. But this happened that we may not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. <laughs> Paul says, I felt like we were going to die. Felt like we had gotten a death sentence. But here's what I want you to understand. All of this happened so that we could learn to trust God more, rely on God more. What kind of God? The God that raises the dead. Just a couple weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. Jesus is no longer dead. That changes everything. 
Paul's saying, even if he had brought us to death, if God wasn't done with us, he could raise us up. God-sized call. You respond with yes. You experience delays, difficulties, and dead ends. We all do. You may be there right now. But there is a final portion that almost always happens if you don't give up. You get to see God show up. You get to see God show up. Maybe because Easter's on my mind, I like to say it this way. God loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections. The disciples were despairing. Mary, the mother of Jesus, thought it was over. They see him hanging on the cross. Even though they had heard his words, I'll rise again, it didn't seem real at the moment. But just a few hours later, they get to see the resurrected Christ. David writes in Psalm chapter 27, these words. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In my life, in the land of the living, in my life, I'm going to see God's goodness. Then he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. I think that's where some of us are today. You've stepped out. There was an initial rush of acceleration, uh, of of just exuberation and, and feeling great about the whole thing. And then you hit the delays, difficulties, maybe the dead ends. If that's you, let the words of David kind of wash over your soul right now. I know I will see the goodness of the Lord in my life. I know I will. How do I know that? Because that's God's character. God hasn't forgotten you. You're not out on your own. What God's actually up to is he's stretching your faith. He's growing you. You're going to come through this better and stronger. You will. You heard Melissa's story. My story, I could take you through that that series of events over and over and over again. There are people sitting around you who would testify that you, in fact, should take heart and wait for the Lord. See, I think that when you understand that God places you in seasons of stretching, it's easier to hold on to hope. So, is that where you are? Are you in a season of stretching? Here's what the enemy of your soul would like for you to do. He'd like you to park, park yourself at that place where Paul said they were almost at. They despaired almost to the point of feeling like they had received a death sentence. Giving up, letting go, forgetting it. Maybe what you need is a season of rest. And in that rest, you learn a new way of depending on the Lord, of trusting in his character, believing that even though you can't see his hand, he's still active. He hasn't forgotten you. You're definitely not alone. And if you're in that waiting room, if you're in that season of challenge, here's something I I want to just implore you to do. Wait. The Bible says that those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and they won't faint. 
in just a moment, we're going to pray. I want to pray a prayer for those that are in God's waiting room, those face difficulties, dead ends. That you would learn to trust the God who hasn't given up on you. That you would learn and have faith in the God that has still put a call on your life. And that you would wait and you would let God renew your strength. Right now, though, what I'd like for us to do is to take a few steps together as a congregation, and then we'll bathe this whole thing in prayer. So would you get out that Connect card that, that uh, Matthew Letts and Lisa were talking about uh, a little bit earlier? Next step A, every week for us is the same. It's about letting Jesus be the Lord of your life, accepting him as your Lord and Savior. If you'd like to do that right now, here's what I ask you to do. Check Next Step A, and when I pray in a moment, Use your words, borrow mine, but basically say to God, God, I'm a sinner. I need you to cover my sin. I accept your forgiveness, what you've done on the cross and in your resurrection. And I want you to be the leader. The Bible word is the Lord. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And then we ask you to take that card and put it in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of the service, and we'll communicate with you about the awesomeness of what it means to be a recipient of God's grace. Or how about next step B? You want to get baptized? We have that happening next service, a beautiful young lady who is just on the front end of her journey with Jesus. And it's just, gonna, it's just a joy to celebrate what God's already done in her life and the hope of what he's going to do over the next several decades. How about next step C? Is there anybody in the room that would say this? Just a moment of honesty, all right? I'm in a season of stretching. Pray with me for God to grow my faith. That's what God wants to do. He wants to grow your faith. How about next step D? Anybody in this room that would say, looking back over the last few years, I have a story of how God stretched me and caused me to grow. Here's why I want you to check that box. The Bible says that you're made overcomers by the word of your testimony. You have a story. I just want you, for the next few minutes, if this is you, think about that. Hey, maybe if you're going through a struggle, maybe you can think back on a time when you went through one before and God was faithful and he actually turned out what you thought for evil and made it for your good. Check that as a way of acknowledging that you have a story with God. Or how about next step E? Anybody would say in the room, I have a sense of call from God. I don't know it all, don't understand it all. And today I'm with Isaiah raising my hand and saying, here am I, send me. Let's pray about all these things right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you're a God that is so committed to us that you want us to grow. You put us in places to stretch our faith. God, this isn't accidental. It's by your grand design that you're growing us. Thank you for that commitment you have for our development. Lord, I want to pray right now for those of us in the room that are in that season of difficulties, challenges, disappointments, hurt, dead ends, the waiting room. God, I pray that they would find hope in your words to wait upon you, to let you renew their strength so that they could mount up with wings as eagles. They could run and not grow weary. They could walk and not faint. God, I pray for each person in this room that's putting their faith and trust in you as the Savior and as the Lord of their lives. They're declaring Jesus Wash away my sins. Be the leader of my life. And God, I know 
that you have called people in this room. Some of them, they're responding for the very first time. They're making a decision. Here am I, send me. God, I pray that this would be the beginning of a marvelous journey where they grow in faith, they learn to trust you, they depend on you, and they see the fruit of what happens when they respond to you with a yes. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen.